Thank you for joining IAB There. And now your host, David Cohen. Over to you, David. All right. Hello, everyone. And uh, welcome to IAB There. Today is Thursday, July 9th, 2020. I'm David Cohen. I'm the president of the IAB. And you are at uh, IAB There, where we connect to the digital ecosystem to talk about uh, all of the stuff that we have going on. It's a, it's a very busy time in our business, so we have lots to talk about. Today, I am super excited to uh, welcome our guest speaker uh, to talk about the pulse of the consumer during COVID-19. Uh, we have Kasha Casey, who is the Global Chief Executive Officer of the Engine Group. And a little known fact, Kasha and I worked together for many, many years on the agency side. So it's an old friend and uh, haven't seen her in some time. And uh, let's bring Kasha into the stream and let's uh, get into the conversation. Hello, Kasha. Hi, David, how are you? Oh, I'm doing okay, all things considered. How are you? I'm good, I'm good, yeah. Good, so um, for those of uh, us in the audience or those folks in the audience who don't know the Engine Group, talk a little bit about uh, what is the Engine Group? What are the services that you provide? What's kind of the, the secret sauce or unique selling proposition? Yeah, so thank you for giving me the opportunity to explain it. So Engine Group is a modern digital marketing services company. And we basically have three components. Um, we have a um, digital media ecosystem where we do everything from planning and buying and executing digital media on behalf of clients, um, all the way through to monetizing publisher inventory. Um, so what is unique about that is we have the end-to-end -end supply chain and, and we can address a lot of the things that the industry has struggled with around transparency, data fidelity, um, all those sorts of things. On top of that, we have a, a research analytics and data company. Um, so they do lots of traditional research, but most importantly, they work with clients, um, both client data, our data, uh, industry data to find the best consumers um, for clients and then execute them uh, in the digital ecosystem. And then on top of that, we have a digital content um, uh, capability. So um, like a mini uh, integrated agency that does media planning and buying, um, content development, marketing strategy, um, all those things. And, and where we really sing is when we bring all those things together in an integrated solution for a client. Um, I think that what makes us unique is lots of um, players out there bring companies together to do all those things. Um, we're a single company with a single team really built on collaboration and integration. That sounds awesome. Uh, and it's global, <laughs> yes? It is global, yes. Um, so. Um, we have capabilities in the U.S., in APAC, and then uh, in EMEA. Got it. I mean, one of the things that we have learned along the way at the IAB, relatively small company, we, we obviously connect with lots of our kind of publishers, ad techs, ad tech companies yeah. and brands. Everyone's been dealing with kind of the connectivity or lack thereof differently. So COVID obviously yeah. has thrown our typical kind of operating procedure out the window and people have learned like lots of tips and tricks on just how to how do you manage a workforce in a kind of all remote uh, environment. So how have you have you learned anything that's really successful or things that you shouldn't do? Yeah, you know, we when, when we decided to close down, I think our team really took the challenge of 
how do we make this not just an experience we're getting through, but a great experience for clients and, and our employees? Um, you know, so we really doubled down on communication. Um, I had two town halls a week for, for much of uh, the pandemic. We've reduced it to one recently. I had a management team meeting every single day. We're now down to three days a week. We really focused on um, having our managers meeting with their teams really frequently, you know, with video conferencing. I think that the most exciting thing though is we've really done a great job of building culture. Um, and we've, we've taken the advantage of sort of the level playing field of having everybody, regardless of the, their location, you know, on the video screen in Zoom, um, to, to bring people together. Um, you know, we had an amazing Zoom Your Kids to Work Day um, a couple of months ago where, you know, the kids in Cincinnati were interacting with the kids in New York. And that, that just never would have happened if we were in a physical environment. So we've really tried to think about how do we use the virtual environment um, in in a way that that adds to the experience versus you know we're just kind of muddling through it. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's super interesting. And, and you know, we did exactly the same thing. We were having a regular yeah. cadence, most every day, kind of ratcheted it back. Because I, I have to say, and I'm sure that you probably experienced the same thing. Just Zoom calls after Zoom calls, this kind of video conferencing, it yeah. really takes its toll after a while. You need yeah. to. You need to unplug, step away, have a regular old phone call, or just uh, walk around the block yeah. or something. It's it's very kind of mentally uh, yeah. taxing. Well, I, I found that people pay attention better to Zoom calls than they do in meetings. So, you know, I think back to when I was in a meeting and you'd be sitting in a room with somebody, but you'd kind of be on your phone and, you know, maybe you were completely paying attention, maybe you weren't. It, it's, it's hard to do that in a Zoom meeting. I think the the focus and concentration um, is, is, is just greater when you're um, virtual. I think that has a lot that has helped us a lot. I think we are tighter as a team and um, we listen to each other better, ironically, um, in Zoom than maybe we did in person. Um, but to your point, it, you know, I remember that first week, the first couple of weeks, I was exhausted. I mean, just oh. exhausted. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. And and I know there's not a lot of people that are recruiting and onboarding. I mean, unfortunately, that's probably not the kind of current state of affairs, but I can't even imagine, how does that happen? Have you had to onboard anyone in this kind of path? Yes, so, so we had this interesting um, dynamic where we were rebuilding a team in Q1. So we hired a ton of people who landed right as COVID hit. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, that that was a challenge. But but again, I think what what our head of HR did was was sort of say, how do we make this the best experience possible and how do we really take advantage of where we are? Um, So I you know, we had I think the thing that we did that really helped people, obviously, having two town halls a week with the global CEO is just helpful in understanding culture and what's happening. but you know, I think in a normal onboarding, a lot of times what happens is you come on, you meet the people in the office, and then you schedule a trip at some point to meet global people yeah. and yeah. you know people in other offices. You know, they got all that in a week and a half, two weeks. So you know, I think the actual onboarding and getting people up to speed and 
getting people familiar with the company happened maybe a little more quickly because we crammed, you know, meeting 20, 30 people into a condensed time frame. Um, so, you know, and I think they, I think they had the experience of not having really, you know, sort of close relationships with the people in their office and more distant relationships with others. You know, the thing I've been fascinated with is when you level the playing field, you hear different voices. So, you know, prior to COVID, I got a lot of opinions and a lot of feedback from the people in New York. And since we've been virtual, I've noticed that I'm hearing more voices from yeah. other offices and other other countries because it's not about somebody grabbing me in the hallway. It's about a concerted effort to talk to somebody. And, and, and in some ways, I think that's a good learning. Totally. And one of the things that uh, I heard on one of these uh, interviews is that everyone's Zoom box or blue jeans box is the same size. And it's kind of a total random. So there's no, you know, like you have the formality in a meeting. This person sits yeah. here, this person sits at the head of the table. Now it's kind of all out the window. We're all equal. We all have the same kind of square on the Hollywood squares. Yeah. And we all yeah. kind of contribute in the yeah. same way, which is uh, well, a great we're getting that peak into everybody's life, which I think makes people just more relatable and likable. I mean, the number of times that my kids have barged into my room <laughs> fighting, right. you know, it's like <laughs> there's, there's a certain amount of humbling, you know, an experience like that does to everybody in the company. <laughs> yes, totally. All right, let's talk about the industry. Uh, so the biggest impact of the pandemic on kind of the advertising media and tech industry, in your opinion, has been what? Well, I mean, to me, it, it's hard to overlook the massive and really fast pullback in spend. Um, and yeah. I think what is what is unique about this, in my mind, is you know we've worked together a long time, and you know there would be holding companies that were struggling and others that were doing well. There would be publishers that were struggling and others that were doing well. I mean, everybody in the industry has been affected by this, and and. You know, I'm, I'm proud because I do think as an industry, we took very quick action. We made hard decisions quickly um, to, to, to make sure that we could be as successful as we could over the long run. But, but just the speed at which, you know, budgets changed and money yeah. through, flowing through this system changed, I think caused a lot of disruption and and I think it's going to take a little while to climb out of it. I think it was a real shock to the the system. Yeah, no, I totally agree. One of the things that we uh, um, as we were planning the new fronts, which was uh, kind of a pretty crazy uh, endeavor in the midst of all of this, we look to um, other parts of the world, like what was happening in China, as an example, to see how long it was lasting from kind of when the stay at home order to when actually the economy started reopening. And we had a, a guess that by kind of mid June, this was back in March, that the industry would start kind of coming back to life uh, a little bit. Obviously, there's been a whole host of other things that have happened at the same time, which have been unfortunate, but it's a long winded way of asking, are there things that are going on with your global purview outside of the US um, that are kind of indicative of what you think is to come here? Yeah, so, um, you know, first I will say, just to give people a sign of hope. So, so like I said, we have this, we have a media exchange that is the end end supply chain. We are seeing spend come back, at least in digital, which is, you know, is it where we want it to be? No, but 
you know, June has been, was really different than May and July is looking better than June. So I do think we're, we're slowly, you know, coming out of That's this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, give, I'll give people a little bit of hope. Um, <laughs> you, you know, as I look at APAC, um, it's a, it's a little bit hard to compare, honestly, because they tackled this in such a completely different way. I mean, they, when they shut down, they shut down and they got the virus under control in a way that I don't think we have yet done. Um, but I will say that having had the virus under control, we're seeing a lot of growth over there. So you know, in my mind, there's some phases. I think first you gotta get the virus under control and then you start to see brands feeling more comfortable spending, more comfortable investing. But but I think while there's that uncertainty, we're we're gonna we're we're gonna have a headwind. So it is my hope that we all wear our masks and get this get this virus under control because I do think that's the first step. Um, the other thing that I'm seeing over there that I haven't seen here yet, but I think we'll get there is brands and companies really starting to think about what do they have to do to bring customers back in. So yeah. we're doing a lot of work with financial services companies and travel companies on what are the propositions that they need to give to consumers to, to make them want to um, use their products and services again. And, and I haven't seen that as much here, um, but, but, I, but I think we'll get there. I think companies will start to think about, you know, how do you differentiate given how people are feeling about COVID and, and you know, the level of anxiety out there um, around different things. Yeah, super interesting. Um, you know, you said that we've, we've, we've been through lots of battles over the agency years. We've seen upturns, downturns, lots of pitches, lots of competitive pressure. Um, you know, when we started right in the early days at the IAB, I started on April 1st, which was kind of a little nutty, but we started with a series of, uh, of research studies to try to get a handle on, um, on what was happening. And our initial thought was, how does this compare to things that we've seen in the past? So 2008... September 11th, we rapidly realized um, that there really was hardly any comparison. A, because the digital industry has advanced so much since 2008, yeah. it's a whole new ball game. And, two, and September 11th was eons ago. And this is a true global pandemic. What about you? Yeah. Do you? Do you see the same thing? Are there analogies to previous downturns that we can learn from or what's your sense? Yeah, I mean, I, I've been thinking about 2008 a lot, um, partly because it's burned into my brain because I had a baby right in the middle of that. So um, <laughs> I have many memories of 2008. But, you know, as I look back on 2008, especially in the marketing industry, I think a, a couple of things happened. Um, I think that was one of the things that really accelerated digital adoption. Um, so, you know, as budgets got constrained as you really needed to, to understand how each dollar was impacting your business. Digital became one of the channels that you could do that. And I think it, it pushed a lot of money into digital. Um, I do think you're seeing similar things um, now in terms of CTV adoption and, yeah. and things like that. So I think, you know, we'll see a rethink of, channel mix and how channels are used. Um, and I think, you know, you'll see some channels like CTV and digital accelerate and, and some of the more traditional channels decelerate. Um, I think the other thing um, was that that idea around understanding what each dollar gets you. 
So I think you'll see lots of companies investing more in sort of top to bottom analytics and and measurement platforms um, so that, you know, those scarce dollars are, are being used, you know, as a, effectively as possible. So, you know, I think there's a dichotomy in the industry sometimes around brand and, and large reach based media and then, you know, direct to consumer sales based media. Um, and I think you'll see fluctuations in that and and maybe even those coming together more than than they are now. Totally, totally agree. I mean, one of the things that came out of the new fronts, as an example, over and over and over again, we kept on hearing incremental reach, incremental reach mm -hmm. off of a base plan. And the base plan, historically, as we know, has been linear television. And so linear right. television does this. How do we fill in the gaps that linear television mm -hmm. is not the job against? Uh, the thing that we're hypothesizing, with, which I think is exactly what you're saying, is that clients are now starting to rethink uh, and reevaluate their market mix models. Like, is that the, how do we get more granular at understanding what is actually moving the needle? And maybe the base yep. isn't your television. Maybe the base is CTV, as yeah. an example. Yep. So do you, do you do market mix modeling at, at Engine? Yeah, we have a full suite of analytics capabilities and and measurement capabilities, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so, go ahead. Go ahead. Nope. No, no, no. Okay, you know, one of the things that that I think has been really interesting um, that is related to this, and, and I thought of it because you talked about the base plan. You know, we have had a tracker going, measuring um, attitudes about COVID since mid-March. Um, and it's, and it's a great- It was- yeah, I looked at it on your website, by the way. It was super impressive uh, right before this. Yeah. So very, very cool. Yeah, no, anybody who's interested, uh, go see it. Um, but what, but because we have all this data, we can look at trends and, you know, how things change over time. And, and the big takeaway for me um, is that people's attitudes are, are really um, related to what is happening on the ground around them. So the case in point, when we first started the research, you know, in the Northeast, it had been hit really hard. Attitudes about masks and social distancing and optimism in terms of opening up was di very different than other places in the country. Um, Memorial Day, that changed. And, and all of a sudden, you know, the South and the Midwest started to look much more like the Northeast. And, and obviously because the virus started to spread there. But I, but I think what's fascinating about that is I, th I think brands, and we're working with a couple of brands on that, really need to think about how do they understand what's happening on the ground? And then how do they think about allocating money? How do they think about messaging based on the specific circumstances in a given week, in a given geography? Um, mm. and, and how do you optimize that across the country? Because you know, there's a certain amount of what's happening in, in that local area is gonna drive people's willingness to spend, people's willingness to, to participate in certain activities. Um, and I think really smart marketers could get really adept at that and flexible and nimble. And, and it could be a, a, an interesting model um, as we sort of manage through this. Yeah, we, we uh, you know, addressability or, you know, has mm -hmm. the ability to kind of think about uh, discrete pieces of geography, different kind of messaging has been something that obviously, you know, we've been talking about for quite some time. I think that this has been a accelerant uh, to that because I think as, as, you, as you've as you seen, the, mar the country has opened up at different times. 
it's going through different uh, phases at different yeah. times. So I, I, I totally uh, agree yeah, with and that. It, just, it, it changes so quickly. I mean, I was stunned over Memorial Day. We saw eight 10 point shifts in attitudes, which is pretty big over the course of the week. So really understanding what's happening and being able to react to that in real time, I think is 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 a really important capability, you know, at least for the next 12, 18 months. Do, I mean, is it is it something that brands can actually predict and have some stuff in the can? Or is it just so rapidly changing that you need to just iterate on the fly? Like what's the on the messaging side? Yeah, you know, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, what we're setting up with a couple of clients is, you know, on a weekly basis, we collect attitudes for them. We, we in, integrate that with all the data we have around virus infection rates and hospitalization rates and things like that. Um, and, you know, we've been testing different messages in different environments. And I think, you know, we will, we will start to get good at what's the right message for the right circumstances. Um, you know, an example, at the beginning, COVID messages, really hard hitting COVID messages just weren't appealing to those areas that weren't hard hit. You know, it, it didn't yeah. mean anything to them, whereas they worked better in the Northeast. So I think, you know, we are starting to, to get good at what should you be dialing up? What should be, you be dialing down based on what's happening on the ground? Totally. Yep. Yep. Uh, I've got a, I've got a, just an interesting, um, just a question that I was thinking about as it relates to kind of back on the agency side, which I sometimes fondly remember and sometimes not so fondly remember. Uh, <laughs> oh, come on, David. Pitching, you great fun. <laughs> right. Pitching new business, uh, which I actually enjoyed. I, I really enjoyed kind of learning about new categories and rolling up your sleeves yeah. and super intense and but I can't even imagine, I've talked to some folks about pitching new business in this environment, like being on Zoom calls for five or six hours um, seems just absolutely brutal to me. Have you been in the thick of some new business and what's that like? Yes, we, have, we have pitched, we have won, I'm proud to say. So, oh, uh, nice. you, know, um, you know, to me and, and, you know, we've pitched a lot together, so you may relate to this. I think there's sort of three big components of a pitch. There's how do you get a team working really well together? There's how do you develop the right solution? And then there's how do you make a prospective client feel the experience of working with your agency? Right. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think the, the first one, um, getting that team working really well together, I, I could see how that could be challenging. You know, we, the benefit of being in a smaller company is, you know, we're not pulling lots of new people into pitches. You know, we have a sort of core team that has worked together a long time, both on clients and pitches, so they know each other well. And I think that helped us. Um, you know, that that is helpful in designing the solution because you've got a team that knows how to work together. The, the trickiest part is how do you help a client understand what's that experience going to be like working with an agency? Um, and, you know, the approach that we've taken you know, you may remember, you know, from the days we pitched where everything was based on sort of three meetings and, and you laid it out on the field in those three meetings and, yeah. and hopefully you gave them a sense of like what, what you were like. I think our approach has been, how do you make every moment be a moment where they feel what it's like to work at the agency? Um, and so that includes, 
you know, when we ask questions, that includes when we're scheduling the meetings with the key people, that includes when we do follow up, you know, like, how do we really optimize every single second? Because while there are things you can do to get creative and fun in the five hour Zoom meeting, it is it is certainly limited compared to what we would do when we had an in-person meeting. So um, we've been trying not to wait until the in-person meetings, but really trying to leverage every touch point that we have, you know, during the pitch. Yeah, it's really hard to build that kind of chemistry and culture. I think in some yeah. ways it's uh, people are definitely leaned in and much more kind of yeah. uh, connected. There's, there's the kind of, uh, visual cues and body language that's really, really hard to kind of pick up. So that's well, even the like in between, in between, you know, when you take a break and go to the restroom or right. get a coffee, exactly. that chit chat, you know, you, you, you know, that I think is what you miss in Zoom, which is why we, we try to put that in beforehand. Um, so that, so that we kind of had the kind of experiences before we get on that. You know, our, our Zoom was, I think, four hours. So, Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and, and weirdly, every minute. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. All right, so let's talk about, uh, we're winding down. we got about five more minutes. I want to talk about some interesting, so we've seen tremendous innovation. Uh, we had a we have a big events business at the IIB, which is obviously going through some tremendous transformation. New Fronts was an example. We have a podcast up front coming in, uh, in September. It's like we're workshopping right before our eyes what's possible in this kind of new virtual world, is there something that you've seen, uh, company, technology, data asset, anything that's really interesting that you've come across that you can share with the audience? Yeah, you know, um, it, you know, the Google um, upfront, new front, I don't know what they call it, the YouTube one. Yeah. I thought yeah. they did, a, yeah, I thought they did a really great job designing a virtual experience in a way that I haven't seen others do. You know, I've seen others sort of film somebody on stage. Yeah. But, you know, think about the, the, the resources we have between media and entertainment and, and technology. And, you know, I was thinking about, you know, CES. I, I would love to see one of those conferences really take the challenge of how do you create an amazing virtual experience versus just film a traditional experience and let people watch it. And, and so I'm, I'm hoping somebody does that at some point. <laughs> yeah. Brandcast delivered. I think that was Google's thing. They, it was, yeah. it was also leveraging everything that digital is good at. It was a customized yep. personalized experience yep. based on what's relevant yep. to you. So I agree. That was, yep. uh, that was super cool. And the pizza that they uh, sent us was not bad either. Okay. Now <laughs> we have uh, one last question and then a speed round. So the last question is, okay. Uh, you you gave us some optimism before. Let's look into 2021. Um, wh what do you see in your crystal ball? Um, you know, either from a consumer standpoint, things that are going to have changed forever uh, in the business, or just from kind of give us some uh, some words of of hope. Yeah. So here's what I'm excited about, and and you know me, so you'll understand this. I think anytime companies and industries go through difficult times, um, there ends up being tremendous innovation and yeah. tremendous change. And I think we're gonna see that. I think brands are gonna look at how they 
um, organize themselves, how they work with agencies, how they go to market. It's going to cause agencies to do the same thing. It's going to cause publishers and partners to do the same thing. So, you know, I love change. I love innovation. And I think, you know, this will, will spur, you know, really interesting new models and new ways of thinking. And I, and I think that's, I just think that's exciting and it's good for the industry. So, you know, I know we're going through a tough time now and, and we've all, you know, had to make decisions that we didn't want to make and we all had to deliver news we didn't want to deliver and we all, you know, agonize over the numbers. But, but my hope for the industry overall is that we're going to get much, much, much better out of this and, and that's good for everybody. Yeah, from your lips to God's ears. I hope that that's absolutely, yeah, absolutely true. And then just on the kind of consumer usage standpoint, obviously CTV is, we've been seeing that kind of grow year on year on year. The one thing, the one thing that I keep on hearing in my head, um, I was talking to Allison Levin from Roku, they've seen kind of about a decade of evolution happen in the past like yeah. 10 weeks or something. So it's been just yeah. an amazing kind of uh, accelerant. Are there any other big, kind of media or consumer usage uh, changes that you that you foresee happening? Well, you know, the, I know you've spoken about this before. I, I am really concerned about um, our industry's perspective on news and advertising and news. Um, you know, yeah. one of the things that, that we've seen as a, as a media platform over the past um, couple months is there are so many eyeballs tuning into news and so many brands that don't want to reach those eyeballs in that environment that it 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 has caused a real problem in the marketplace um so it's, it's a problem for us because there's a lot of um, eyeballs that aren't really being monetized it's a problem for publishers um but but i also think it's just a problem for our country where we need good news and and news is ad supported so um, I do think that's an important conversation for us to have. I know you've had that. Um, I know yeah. agencies have had that. But I think we have to continue to push on that because um, yeah. no, you know, that has been, it, it has been so stark um, just with everything going on, what a big problem that is. Completely agree. And yeah, as you alluded to, we have a, an initiative that we're leading that we're calling News Saves Lives, which is exactly yeah. what it sounds like. It's kind of just an education process because I think that there are some unintended consequences. I think that sometimes, you know, an easy way out might just be to come up with a very, very long kind of block list of keywords and uh, your unintended uh, consequences that you're cutting off, uh, you know, yeah. very, very valid stories that could be beneficial to your brand and the support of, uh, of the news environment. So I totally, totally agree. Okay, my last thing, my favorite, as you know, I am, I've done this before. We're gonna do a speed round, which I know that you're okay. gonna ace. Um, which we're going to just say a couple of words, and I want you to say the very first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. okay. Uh, first one is five G. Um, when is it going to get here? I feel like five G is the new year of the mobile. Totally. We've never okay. the year of the mobile for like ten years. I, I feel like five G is like a that. Yeah, I hear it's coming. Okay, artificial intelligence. Um, I'm nervous. Um, I, I, I would hate for us to work our biases and institutional racism into a super powerful, fast set of systems. We gotta, we gotta address that. 
Okay, now that is a paragraph. We just want a quick word, one or two words. So got it. All right. ACR. Okay. ACR. Exciting. Nice, good. Upfronts. Ugh. <laughs> That's my answer. <laughs> uh, I love it. Attribution. Um uh over engineered sometimes. Data. My favorite thing. Hmm. I knew that would be your answer. Addressability. Uh the way of the future. Podcasts. Uh Mike Berbiglia has a great one that he just launched. It's a little tip for everybody. All right. Uh, Zoom meetings. <laughs> uh, exhausting. Frequency capping. Um, probably a good thing to do. <laughs> Netflix. Um, has been replaced by Apple TV in my house. Mm. Uh, reach. Uh, it will be redefined. Nice. And CES. Um, God, I do not want to go in January. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. And then last thing, I just, I'm just thinking, is there a good binge recommendation? You recommended a podcast. Is there a good, like, show or book or something that you've experienced while you've been home? Okay, well, this is, this is, I'm going to take us offline. I, I happened to come across a book about Shackleton's uh, attempt to cross the Antarctic. And it's amazing. Yeah. It's an amazing, amazing story. So if you're looking for a good beach read, um, the book is called Endurance. And, um, and it's not recent, but I happened across it and was riveted. And it also is a good lesson in perseverance and not giving up. So we, we might all need that in these times. Well, as luck would have it, the powers that be at the IAB have let me take a vacation next week. I am going to Montauk, and that is a great book recommendation. So thank you for for that. And thank you for being here. This has been awesome to catch up Thanks with you. Thanks for it's having been, me. It's uh, so fun to see you. A very long time, and uh, thanks very much. We'll, uh, we'll chat with you yeah. soon. Yep. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, on tomorrow's IAB there... Uh, the IAB Editor-in-Chief Brad Behrens will sit down with uh, Jennifer Johnson, founder of Trestle, to discuss transparency and brand success. IAB There is a production of the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Our show today was produced by Connor Healy, Joe Ons, John Ward, and Twafika Mohinadin. I'm David Cohen, and thank you for watching. Come back tomorrow, because if it's 2 p.m. Eastern on a weekday, you'll know it's time to I be there. Thanks a lot, everyone.